Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, August 15th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 25. Moses knows that as Israel prepares to enter the promised land, they must, above all else, hear that the Lord is God, and they must teach this gracious truth to their children. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. He is also helping to plant Epiphany Lutheran Church in Bastrop, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too, Pastor Beck. How are things going? Things are great. You know, what are you? Uh, we're staying busy. What are you teaching this year at Faith Lutheran High School? Uh, so I'm teaching the New Testament. Have you oh, read it? I have. It's, Deuteronomy is not in the New Testament. That's true. Yeah, but it's going to be good. It's going to be a lot of fun. Excellent. Excellent. Mm. So you won't be able to, well, maybe Mm. parts of this chapter come up in the New Testament. Indeed. We might get to talk about that. So we're in Deuteronomy 6 today. Let's talk a little context. What should we know about the book? What Moses has been talking about leading up to chapter 6? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so Deuteronomy, of course, um, uh, and uh, previous guests have already mentioned this, uh, but the the title Deuteronomy comes from the the Septuagint translation of the Bible, the Greek version. Uh, Deutero is the Greek word for second, and nomos is the Greek word for law. So Deuteronomy, a second law or a second reading of the law. Um, also, uh, probably helpful to remember that that word "law" probably is better understood as instruction. Um, this is this is not to be looked at as you know God is laying down the hammer of the law or something like that. God is you know here are the um, the fine print, uh, the terms and services, you know uh, all of the things that we scroll past and we just click yes, I have read the terms uh, and accept. Uh, it's not quite like that, um, which. I honestly, uh, this was one of the things that um, I just went back and, and looked up because I had forgotten. But the Hebrew title for the book uh, is Ela Devarim, which means these words. Now, in the first five books of the Bible, each of the uh, the Hebrew titles is just basically the first word or the first two words of the book, uh, which is kind of neat. Um, but so this one, uh, and it it actually it works out well because each of the first five books are described by the first couple of words. Right. And so here, um, you know, these words uh, <laughs> is how it begins, and that's certainly what happens in the book of Deuteronomy. It's just, it's the words spoken by Moses um, as he delivers this basically 34 chapters of sermons. He's giving instruction. Uh, this, of course, is sort of Moses' swan song. This is his, his final um, address uh, or series of addresses uh, to the people uh, as they're about to enter into the promised land. And so uh, we have, um, of course, as your other guests have said, uh, we have this first sermon that's kind of chapters one through four uh, that's going to highlight and bring to remembrance their uh, their journey since Sinai, that 11-day trip uh, that took 40 years. Isn't that wonderful? It's great. 
Yeah. Um, but then uh, we, we hear about the people's rebellion and God's faithfulness. Um, chapter four especially shifts from what had happened to the, the and now portion. So here's what it's going to look like from here on. And then in uh, chapter five, uh, of course, uh, which we just finished uh, in Sharper Iron, uh, we have the introduction of the second major discourse uh, in Deuteronomy in which it's going to begin with the Ten Commandments, you know, these, these ten words uh, that, uh, that God has given to his people. Um, and uh, previous guests have done a wonderful job of, of describing all of that. Um, that's going to be the basis, the bedrock, is bringing people's memory back to Sinai, back to the covenant that God established with them there. Um, and so Deuteronomy 6, and I, honestly, uh, I like this because uh, Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 6 uh, both have this emphasis towards the first commandment. Uh, it, it all The first sermon ends with, uh, with the first commandment, this idea of being faithful to God alone, and then Deuteronomy 6, uh, which is going to be sort of the application of those Ten Commandments, it's going to begin with this, this long discourse, this, long, this entire chapter here today, um, describing the first commandment and what that's going to look like um, for the people of God. So I think that's um, probably enough, uh, um, uh, enough context for us just to kind of get us started. Uh, we're talking about First Commandment issues, um, and this is going to be the section where we, um, where we sort of apply the First Commandment. Uh, I, I, when I teach about the commandments, I, I think you probably do the same thing. That is to say that all of the commandments sort of fall under the First Commandment. Because the first commandment says that God is God, um, and if God is God, well, then what God says concerning his, his name and the days of the week and, you know, parents and murder and adultery and yet everything else, all of those things matter because of who he is. So it's sort of like you get the first commandment right, all of the rest of it starts to at least make more sense to you. And I think that's sort of where we uh, pick up here in Deuteronomy 6. Yeah, that, that's the same thing that I do when I teach the commandments. If we could keep the first, right. we would keep all the rest. When we break the rest, we also break the first, Exactly, too. yeah. So we, we are going to see the foundational nature of the first commandment, particularly in this chapter, an extended meditation sermon on those words, you shall have no other gods. So we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6. All right, Pastor Beck, so this is a meditation, a sermon on the first commandment. How does Moses kick off the chapter in the first three verses? Well, he kicks it off by uh, reminding the people who God is. Uh, The fact that uh, he is your God kind of makes a big deal. He's not just any God. He's not just you know, a God among gods. He's not even just the God, but he is your God, Uh, which I think that that's something that, uh, you know, just a a quick little pronoun that we can just skip over if we're not careful, if we get reading too quickly. Uh, But this is uh, the foundational uh, relationship that's established in the Sinai Covenant. I mean, it even goes back to um, the Abrahamic covenant, right? That that God is going to be uh, the God of Abraham, of, then of Isaac, then of Jacob. Uh, but at Sinai, you get a little bit of a different flavor to it because um, where where the covenant given to Abraham is absolutely unilateral, God makes the covenant, um, the promise to Abraham. Remember, Abraham uh, receives it by faith, and then God reckons him, accounts him uh, righteous. Uh at Sinai, it's much more um, God is establishing this covenant, but the people have a responsibility there within it. Um, and so it's a it's more of a two-way street. Um, and there are, um, I mean, throughout the book of Deuteronomy and even going back to Exodus and Leviticus, there are blessings and curses associated with it. There is this, um, this active component to which the people are supposed to play their part, which is do these things and you will live. So live um, as if God is your God. Um, Have faith in him and then have the love that emanates out from that faith. Um, That's that's really uh, what uh, Moses starts off with here um, is to say uh, that this, I will be your God and you will be my people, um, that sort of reverberates from Sinai throughout the wilderness wanderings uh, as God continually leads them uh, by the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night and then dwells in the tabernacle in their midst, um, that he is going to be their God who is with them. Um, And then we get into... Uh, the section, uh, as we go through, uh, he's, of course, uh, reminding them of the promise uh, that they're going over to this land to, uh, to possess. Um, 
but then you get into this uh, this this word here. Uh, you guys have talked, I'm sure, on Sharper Iron a, a thousand times about this fear of the Lord idea. It's ha- it's come up a time or two. Uh, really? Okay, yeah, that surprises yeah. me. <laughs> right, so uh, it's at the same time, uh, it really is truly a fear of of God uh, that says we understand that God is the one who holds all things together. He is uh, the creator of all things, the provider, the protector of all things. Um, and if for a single instant he didn't hold all things together in creation, creation would just cease to exist. And there is something you know about that that says if we're found to be in opposition at enmity with God, which of course on account of our sins we are, there is some real terror there. But it also has this connotation that says, uh, you know, that we fear God uh, with uh, the fear that we would describe, uh, you know, today as faith. Uh, so there is this this twofold meaning to that word. And I think it's good to keep both of those in tension at, at the same time. I think the what you pointed out, that the Lord describes himself as, as their God. Moses says, the Lord, your God. Yeah. We also know that he is the only God. Sure. Those two realities at the same time, that Yahweh is the only God, but he's also your God. Those two realities at the same time, I think, encapsulate what it means to fear God. Yeah. If he is the only God, then yeah, there's a sense of right. dread there. But if he's also my God, then I know he's not out to get me, but he's out to, to love me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, very, very well said. Um, so, he makes reference to a couple of things that are going to come up later in the chapter, uh, which is is very helpful. Um, I do you do this in your sermons sometimes? You you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. That's, sometimes that's speech writing 101. That's right. Uh, but so this idea of fearing the Lord your God, um, you and your son and your son's son. And this is a multi generational project. This is not just for you right now, uh, because clearly the previous generation who even saw the the plagues and the wonders that God did in Egypt, um, they weren't worthy just, you know, a couple of years later to enter into the promised land. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're wandering for a full generation so that they can die in the wilderness. And so that you might receive not by the sight of the things that happen in Egypt, but you might receive by faith, the word of God, um, that confirms this. And that says this promise is for you. This land that's across the, the river here is for you. So it is a, uh, passed down to generation. Again, we'll hear more about that as we get into the, the heart of the text. Uh, but then we hear this, um, almost this echo before, is there such a thing as an echo before? I don't know. Yeah. My vocabulary is I don't, I don't escaping think that's me right now. But hear, therefore, listen, <laughs> Israel, and be careful to do these commandments, these statutes, these rules, um, so that it may go well with you. You may multiply um, so that you may be in this land flowing with milk and honey, uh, that beautiful land that God had prepared for them. So we're going to find, uh, even in just the very next verse, that listening, hear, therefore, um, and then the doing after that these two things are part and parcel of what God is commanding Israel to be about. Mm. Yeah, so it is striking that the first thing that Moses gives them to, quote, do is to hear, to listen. What does it mean that the Lord is your God? First and foremost, it means to hear him or to listen to him. This is a foundational verb, not only in this chapter, but really throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Moses gives it to us both in verses three and four. What does it mean to hear? Yeah. So, and I mean, I I think we should probably even stretch back further than that because ours is a God who speaks. 
He spoke creation into existence, um, and that's the the big uh, defining uh, moment uh, after you have the first 10 chapters of Genesis where you've got kind of the fall, the stumble, the trip, the the rolling down the hill of everything that's just falling apart. And then in Genesis 12, God speaks again, which is wonderful when you contrast it with the Tower of Babel when all language is confused and everything else. Then God speaks to a man named Abram, and from then on, God is the one who does his mighty work by speaking. And so we have this God who speaks, and what, do you, what happens when somebody speaks? Well, hopefully somebody listens. And that's exactly what uh, what God is calling them to do here. I think that it's, it's interesting in noting uh, that there is, at least in the English language, I don't know that this exists in the Hebrew language, but there's a, a distinction between hearing and listening, mm-hmm. right? Right. When, when our kids go to the pediatrician uh, and they get their checkup, you know, they do their hearing test uh, and, you know, they're supposed to raise their hand whenever they hear a sound. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of those things. You can't cheat on a hearing test, you know, and just raise your hand. I haven't pushed the button yet. It's not making a sound. <laughs> but there's a difference between hearing and listening. Um, our children, you know, when we're correcting them or asking them to do chores and things like that, they may hear us, but are they listening Listening sort of uh, it connotes more of a more of an active participation in it, uh, more of not just um, did you hear the sounds that are coming out of my mouth, but do you actually understand them? Are they coming into uh, your uh, your ears and your mind, and then ultimately in your heart, so that uh, something uh, that new information is processed and is actually put to use? That's the kind of listening that uh, Moses, uh, and of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, that God here is inviting the people to participate in, um, is listen to me, hear my voice when I am saying that I am your God. It's, it's just dripping with this gospel identity that says that God has chosen you, uh, you beloved people Israel, he has chosen you to be the ones who listen to his instruction, because his instruction is life. His instruction is righteousness. We'll get to that at the very end of the text. But his instruction is for us so that we can uh, be the partakers of the life that he ultimately spoke into creation, into existence, all the way back in Genesis 1. It's, it's really the same old story, uh, but it's, it's uh, Israel, a new generation being given the same old story, if that tracks. I appreciate you bringing us back to the fact that listening entails someone speaking and the someone speaking is God, because I I really think that helps us appreciate the book of Deuteronomy and take it to heart more fully. As as you said at the very beginning, the the Hebrew name for this is these words, (laughs) and it really is a a book of of Moses speaking. We talked a little bit about this with Professor Harstad in the first episode that, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, Moses, Moses talks and Moses <laughs> dies, right? So, but but this verse really gives a sense that when Moses is speaking, because he is speaking the words of God, something yeah. actually is happening. That this is this is not just a uh, okay. The words are going in, and the the sound waves are bouncing off my eardrums, and my brain is converting that into information. Right? No, right. this is actually a listening, and God is doing something to the people, and He does it still to us as we read and hear His word today. That's uh, you mentioned. Uh, teaching uh, New Testament at Faith High School, that's one of the first units that we cover um, is that ours is a God who speaks, that we don't have to to wonder how God feels about us or to guess or to just sort of assume that, 
well, of course God's good, you know, or, or well, um, God probably likes me because I'm, uh, I always like to say, you know, that if God graded on a curve, you know, are you closer to, to Hitler or to Mother Teresa? And as long as you're closer to Mother Teresa, you're good. That's not the way that it works. Right. But instead of wondering or hoping or, you know, trying your best and seeing where the chips may fall kind of a deal. Instead, we actually do have a God who speaks. That's one of the foundational things uh, for us as Christians is that that's why the Bible matters. You know, um, uh, the writer of the Hebrews begins by saying in many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. God spoke to them, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Uh, So it's important for us to remember that God speaks he speaks before Jesus is born, and then he speaks through Jesus, through the apostles. Um, and now, as uh, we Christian pastors, uh, 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 as we format our preaching and our teaching, as we base all of that on the Word of God, um, God continues to speak in that way of saying, this is his Word, his, his Bible, um, and now here's what it means for us here and now in the 21st century. And it's only through that word that any faith or doing can happen. And this, again, just to reiterate the point, this is the foundation for Israel is to hear the Lord who is the one true God. And from that hearing, that listening, comes the faith. I've got my KFUO coffee mug in front of me Mm, that says faith comes from hearing. And then from that same hearing also comes the faith active in Obedience right. to the commandments, These which two is things go together. That's right. That's right. So we've got the foundation of listening to the Lord, which brings us to verse four, which is a foundational verse for the whole Old Testament, for the whole yeah. scriptures. It's often thought of as the creed of right. Old Testament Israel. Tell us about verse four. Yeah. So hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. When we were in confirmation class uh, um, all the way back in the late nineties, um, we had a Bible verse that we had to memorize from each book of the Bible. And this was the one for Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy wow. 6, 4. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, and it, it's, it is the quintessential verse of, of, of confession. This is what the Old Testament people of God believe. It's even to this day, um, the Jews, uh, still, this is part of their, uh, their twice-a-day prayer that they pray um, is, you know, uh, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Echad, right? Um, Yahweh Elohim. 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 Eloheinu, Yahweh is our God. Oh, man. Oh, he's getting a Hebrew Bible out. But anyways, while he's doing that, um, the point here is to listen up. I believe it's Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. We were just joking off air about uh, getting too deep into the Hebrew, but that's that's not uh, anything you're going to have to worry about. Yes, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Yeah, Yahweh. And it's just it. Yahweh, Yahweh is, is our, God. our God. Yahweh, Yahweh is, is one. one. Right? These two things go together. Um, but this is a statement that, first of all, begins with listen up. Right? Um, it is a, a call from whatever busyness or whatever you know preoccupation we've got with anything else that's going on in our lives to say, stop and listen. This is what you need to know. It starts with who God is and then tells us what he is like. He is our God. Yahweh, our God. Yahweh alone is God. 
Okay, so uh, when it says Yahweh is our God, um, that's referring to that again covenant relationship, and then the fact that Yahweh, uh, the Lord, is one. That's saying He is the one and only God. That's saying there are no other gods. That's saying that He is the only place that you can ever look uh, for salvation, uh, for the good things of this life. He is the only one who can satisfy the needs of our souls uh, and and our bodies, for that matter. Um, this isn't uh, to be uh, taken, uh, by the way in contradiction to Jesus's revelation that God is three persons uh, and one God. Um, that's, uh, I think, one of the uh, sticking points for, uh, for the Jewish leaders in Jesus's day is when Jesus shows up and says that uh, the Father and I are one, you know, they're like, we need to throw rocks at this guy yeah. because, you know, Yahweh, the Lord, our God, is one. Um, and, you know, you're saying that you who are distinctly a different person are one with him. Our, again, our, our verb pronoun agreement there with are and is uh, gets very confusing. Um, but that's not to be understood as something that is in contrast uh, here. Jesus isn't undoing Deuteronomy 6, 4, when he says the Father and I are one, or if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, or to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, he, is, he is not taking away from that, but instead he is just sort of um, expanding upon it. He is sort of um, showing us in maybe you could say sharper focus might be a way of, of describing that. Um He's demonstrating to us, and he's he's teaching us uh, the fact that there is indeed one God, but he's, uh, to use a, a catchphrase from a children's cartoon from when we were kids, he's more than meets the eye. <laughs> well, I think, I'm glad you brought up John That's 10. Transformers, by the way. See, I, I, I don't know that I watched more than Transformers, meets the but yeah, I, I'm familiar with Transformers. Okay, you've heard of the, the concept. But so, okay, I'm glad you brought up John 10, 30, that the Father yeah. and I are one. That's good. Because I, I think what, what Jesus is doing there is he's actually explaining Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. He's, yeah, he sure he, is. He's explicitly referencing Deuteronomy right. 6, verse 4 and saying the one God, the Yahweh that you guys confess, right. the Father and I are him and again and the, is him. yeah is him right that's right <laughs> that's right but he's he's explicitly connecting the doctrine that we would label the triune god he's right. connecting that doctrine to this verse so yeah. that deuteronomy 6 verse 4 does not stand in contradiction at all to the doctrine of the trinity but actually teaches it we and, should open up to the Athanasian Creed and talk about that for 30 or 40 minutes. We probably. probably could. We could talk about Deuteronomy 6 <laughs> verse 4 the whole time. Absolutely. Uh, another, just just briefly here, sure. another place in the New Testament where the Shema gets used in yeah. connection with the Trinity is in 1 Corinthians 8, oh, yeah. where where St. Saint, Saint Paul writes, There is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and or on earth, as indeed there are many, quote, gods and many, quote, lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. I mean, notice Paul's use of one there right. in multiple cases, connecting both the Father and Jesus, and then, of course, the Holy Spirit as well, right. to this verse in Deuteronomy 6, verse We 4. never want to lose sight of the oneness of God. That's right. Um, yeah. That's right. And then that's that's such a beautiful reminder for us as well, the oneness of the mind of God um, that, you know, why does God create all things uh, so that he might redeem all things unto himself? Why does God send forth his Holy Spirit um, for the very same reason? I mean, God is is one in terms of what he is doing. Um, and that is actually how we know him is how he reveals himself 
by his actions. That's right. But specifically by his words, which bring about those actions. That's Man, right. We just keep going back to the words. That's right. Keeps coming back to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're going to take our break here on Sharp Iron. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter six with Pastor Dustin Beck. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 15th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 25 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we made it through four verses, so we're going to keep moving. Uh, we got some We got some ground to cover. <laughs> verse 5, another key verse, both in the Old Testament and one that gets quoted in the New Testament by our Lord Jesus Christ. The response to hearing that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, what is the response that the people should have in verse five. The response is love. Yeah, when you when you hear about who God is and about what He has done, uh, you respond by loving Him because He has done this for you. I, I mean, if we go into, you know, go into our day each and every day, remembering that God has built creation for the sake of of us, for the sake of mankind, for the sake of me. I mean, that's. That's almost unfathomable. Uh, the uh, you know we were we were um, just last night uh, we had family in town and we were you know looking out and they they're from the city and so being out here in the country you know we were marveling at the stars and everything and I was thinking about today's show and just thinking about the fact that you know all of this really is you know God did this for me so that I'd have something pretty to look at well maybe that's being a little bit silly but you know at the same time. Uh, the response of what God has done and who he is for us is to love him. And he goes into uh, to detail here, Moses does, to love God with your heart, with your soul, with your might, um, with everything that you've got, every fiber of your being uh, was created to love God, which is it's huge. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, and how do we love God? Well, I mean, we get into this uh, uh, further down, but you love God by loving your neighbor. By, by not worshiping, by not looking to others uh, um, for your good or in times of trouble, you know, Luther's famous definition of what does it mean to have a God from the large catechisms is that to which you look for every good and that to which you flee in times of, of turmoil, in times of trouble. That's what it means to have a God. And so, first of all, if we don't have other gods, then we are looking to God for all things. Um, and then, as part of that, uh, we... Uh, love our neighbor as ourselves. So that's the result of hearing 
O Israel, listen up, you know, you people of God. The Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. Um, Because he is one and there is no other God, that means there is no other good apart from our God, Yahweh. And so inviting other people, encouraging other people, trying to bring other people into this um, through loving acts of service, through speaking these words— these words, Deuteronomy, right? Um, All of that uh, is what this is talking about here in verse 5. Specifically, that it be pointed, uh, uh, that love towards God. And then again, as Luther uh, so beautifully puts in his post-communion collect, and in fervent love toward one another, that we would be those beloved by God um, lovers of uh, our brothers and sisters. Right. And again, so thinking about chapter six as a sermon upon the first commandment, yeah. how that sets the stage for everything else that will come in the book of Deuteronomy right. as Moses lays out for the people. Here is how you are to live together as a nation in the promised land. That love for each other has its foundation in the love for God, the it's, one who yeah. speaks his life-giving word. It's rooted in that that love that comes from God and then is reciprocated back to God. He's the one who loves us. Uh, he has first loved us, and so we love him. That's just the way that it works is he initiates it, he establishes it, and then we, uh, and, and this, again, even goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, Bearing the image of God means being the ones who are his representatives here on earth, the pinnacle of creation, who are loved first by God, but then are able to, in that love, to love the rest of creation. Mm. So it's just, it's beautiful and fascinating. Um, He says that, uh, going into verses uh, six through nine, uh, he says that these words uh, should be on our hearts. They should be um, on the very, uh, again, the fabric of our being. Uh, we, we would read this as, it should be on your soul. This is the defining characteristic of you, is that you are the ones uh, who will love God with everything. And he says, you'll teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them. And I love this. When you sit down in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you rise... Uh, just this idea that God's word and the things of God's word, um, the the matters discussed in God's word, the promises given, the the provision of God, all of these things, you're supposed to have sort of those, um, is, is it Pastor Finnern uh, who says that we ought to have our, our Jesus goggles on, our Jesus glasses? That's right. I, I know he's a regular guest and a KFUO contributor. Um, I think he talks that way, and that's sort of what's going on here in Deuteronomy 6, is that when you have these words of God on your heart, all of a sudden, that'll be what you teach your children diligently. And I actually, I I saw this, again, not much of a Hebrew scholar over here across the desk from you, Uh, but this uh, phrase, teaching diligently, is a Hebrew phrase uh, that refers to the sharpening of a knife on a Mm. whetstone. Right. So that uh, and if you've ever sharpened a pocket knife or, you know, a knife to to cut the the Thanksgiving turkey or anything, a lot of times we sharpen those knives with diligence. We sharpen them, you know, at just the right angle. We sharpen them over and over again to remove all of those microscopic burrs and everything else to make sure that we get it absolutely right. Absolutely. Just as sharp as possible. That's the teaching diligently that's described here, but it's also not just something that takes place in two years of confirmation. It's something that, what? Uh, yeah. Wow. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, I like to describe confirmation as that two years of focused instruction, 
Our prayer as pastors, and and hopefully yours as parents, would be that our children are receiving instruction in the Christian faith from from the very moment that you you begin to to pray for them, from the very moment that you begin to you know um, to sing to them, to to teach them, to tell them Bible stories and read arch books and everything else wonderful that CPH has, um, and then that it would continue even after confirmation as they're involved in Bible class, as they're in worship regularly. That's what this is describing here: uh, is to teach your children. Uh, when you're sitting in the house and when you're walking on the road, when you lie down and when you rise, uh, it is to be a a daily, uh, a multiple times a day, daily kind of activity um, that they would know uh, to listen up because God is our God uh, and there is only one God and apart from him there is nothing good. Yeah, I, the thing about teaching diligently that I really find important is that particularly with the role of parents here because Moses, he has said, the Lord gave me these words to teach to you. Now you teach them to your children. Right. The thing about the parents is that they are going to be teaching their children something. something. Yeah. And so teach them diligently these words teach them diligently that the lord is our god that he is one and do it all the time because if you don't teach them diligently you'll teach them something i don't what's the opposite of carelessly maybe yeah is that the opposite of diligently i mean maybe uh, a word that we are more familiar with than diligently would be intentionally hmm. right because like you said you are teaching your children something by your actions, by your words, uh, by the things that you put value in. And so what are you teaching them? That's a huge, uh, huge phrase, a huge statement, a huge idea. Um, and it's something that we ought to just, you know, as, as parents, you know, this is, this is an opportunity, of course, for a lot of repentance. Sure. But it's an opportunity for, um, for us to strive each and every day um, to make the important things uh, as important as they ought to be. That's right. So do that while you're sitting talking, walking, lying down all the time. In verse eight, it talks about binding them as a sign on your hand, frontlets between your eyes. I'm not even sure what a frontlet is. Writing them on the doorposts. What are are those things referring to? Yeah. So, and this is, I think, mm, I don't know how literally this is to be taken, right? Um, The, uh, the Old Testament. I'm not seeing any tattoos on your arms. Is that what this is about? Oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Old Testament people of God uh, did ultimately take this, um, take this quite literally. Um, and if you, uh, the word that usually gets used for this uh, as, as far as the frontlets between your eyes, uh, the word is phylacteries, um, which is just a really weird word because it's P-H-Y-L-A-C-T-E-R-I-E-S. I had to, I had to, I had to look it up. But if you do a Google for that, I think that's a thing. If you do a Google, um, you'll see pictures of even, you know, um, some of the the more con, uh, conservative Jews today that they'll have this thing that's like a, a little box that's got like a ribbon tied to it, and they'll tie it around their head and they wear the thing because they're taking this very literally. Um, and inside of it, they have little rolled up scrolls that have, you know, little prayers and things like that on them. But that's a way of literally having that thing with you everywhere you go. Uh, the prayers, the word of God, um, I prefer to just kind of either keep a Bible on my phone or in my pocket because I, yeah, but that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so, uh, the frontlets between your eyes, uh, bind them as a sign on your hand. Uh, this almost comes into, uh, and again, if you, if you do a search on Google for this or whatever search engine you guys use, I don't assume uh, everybody's Google people. Um, do a search for Deuteronomy 6, 8 and look at the, the images that are there and you'll see pictures of people who will, you know, have uh, this this almost uh, kind of um, 
this cord that sort of binds around their arm, and that's to be a reminder to them when they pray. Um, and then again, the the phylactery on their head, uh, and also, um, I mean, the other thing is called a mezuzoth. Um, that, I think that's Yiddish. I don't Probably. speak Yiddish very much at all. Um, but I mean, I remember when we were living in South Florida for Vicarage, a very Jewish population in that area. And you would see, you know, as you went into houses that had been owned by Jewish people at one time or another, especially at nursing homes and things right outside of the doors of people's homes, you would see this little, you know, brass thing. And apparently there was a rolled up piece of paper in it. It looked like a scroll, right? And inside of that was uh, Deuteronomy 6, was these um, these these reminders to them that listen we're putting this everywhere as a reminder maybe it's the uh the uh, example for us today is when people like put those you know posters up that say not live laugh love but the ones that are like you know as for me and my house we will right. serve the lord from joshua and other things like that sure so, and, and do those you have are wall hangings like that in your home i i do i do and that's that's yeah. fine and that's good it. and it's important to see the word of god to read the word of god yeah it's a good reminder but it is as a to go back to what we were talking earlier about the difference between say hearing and listening. Yeah. It's not just about like, if you have that on your wall, that's great. It's a great reminder. Right. Take it to heart, yeah. listen to it. That's the whole point is to have that word of God around you all the time on your lips, what you see, even what's what you're holding. Yeah. So that that word it penetrates your heart. It it changes you. It does that work that God intends to do. Yeah, in I, every, I think every that's, which that's a powerful thing for sure. Um, so we need to uh, to keep pay moving. We need or, to, well, sorry, we need to keep well, moving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's okay. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, verses ten to fifteen. <laughs> let's take all these together. How about? Go for it. Let's go for it. All right. So um, again, uh, when the Lord, when Yahweh, your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're always going to go back to the covenant given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because again, that's God's promise. And he's not, he can't take that one back. Uh, There are no terms and conditions uh, that, you know, that limit this um, as far as, you know, if you step outside of the the command, the covenant rather, um, then God will, you know, will break that. So uh, we go back to the land promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, but it will be contrasted a little bit um, as the Old Testament goes along. So one of the things that I find uh, that's, that's so beautiful, and this is something that maybe we don't recognize because it's a weird experience for us, uh, but in verses, let's see here, 10, 11, 12, uh, yeah, even, yeah, 10, 11, and 12, it talks about this. It says, um, God, uh, God is going to give you this land. There are going to be cities that you didn't build and houses filled with things that you didn't fill and cisterns that you didn't dig and vineyards with olive trees that you didn't plant. Uh, and when you eat and f- are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, lest you forget Yahweh, uh, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So all of this ties back to what God has done. But what God continues to do is he gives the blessings to these people that you really can't, uh, the people of Israel, when they go into the promised land and they get all of this stuff that they didn't build or fill or dig or plant, there is no doubt that God has done this for them. That's that's one of the most um, uh, most profound gospel um, metaphors or gospel images that's used in the Old Testament is that you are living in a house that you didn't build. I mean, it was built by a Canaanite or somebody like that, but ultimately was built by God for you. It was built by that other person so that you might inhabit it. Now, a couple of weeks ago uh, in Bible class at Holy Cross in Warda, we just finished up the book of Amos. I know that's one of your favorites. Good one. 
Amos, just the the guy who, uh, you know, there are five verses of good news in the whole nine chapters of the prophecy. But read one of all the, the things, way to the end. Yeah, you have to read yeah. to the end. Um, but in Amos chapter five, one of the judgments that is is uh, is slung against Israel is to say that the stuff that you have built, it'll be lived in by somebody else. The stuff that you have planted, it'll be harvested by somebody else. And then at the, at the very end, um, in the last couple of verses, uh, when Amos, uh, of course, brings it back around into the gospel, uh, he says that when God brings you back, when God brings back the people, that they will work together. And so there is this this mutual building, uh, which I think is living in the love of God, um, and that does have that active capacity that you get to go and you get to be a part of of all of this. But so here we have just the good stuff. Here we have just the um, the gospel side of it that says, you know, you didn't build that, as one of our former presidents famously said. But here it's a it's actually a good news thing that you are getting this benefit because Yahweh is your God. And so as a result of that, don't forget about him. Right. Don't lay him aside. Don't think that for one minute that you deserve this, that you earned this, that you built this because he is the one that you shall fear again, back to the introduction in the first couple of verses, uh, him, you shall serve. And by his name, you shall swear. This means God is going to be on your lips and in your heart and everything that you do. Uh, again, verse 14, don't go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. They will be around you, right? The, the other people in the world who are not of Yahweh, uh, whom Yahweh is not their God. Um, they look to anything and everything else to bring them pleasure and to bring them fulfillment and, don't do that. Don't be like them. Again, we have this blessings and curses. Choose this day life yeah. as opposed to choosing death, which is uh, what all of the rest of the nations, all of the rest of the people who are apart from uh, Yahweh and his love, that's what they'll get, right? That's what they've they've chosen for themselves is a path that doesn't lead uh, to the life that God has given. Right. And so as you go into the promised land, again, yeah. keep the first commandment first. Don't fall away from this faith that Yahweh is your God. He is one. Don't, and, and notice, and this will be, this will come up more in chapter eight. Over and over, yeah. Right. Notice how it's the the prosperity that provides the danger. That's the, yeah. the fertile ground for temptation. When you have all this stuff, that's when you're liable to forget who gave it to you. Yeah, I can't remember. It's somewhere in Proverbs that talks about God give us, you know, what we need for today. Not too much. That's right. You know, don't yeah. give us enough rope to hang ourselves, but you know, also don't make me so so poor and impop I'm paraphrasing. Right. Don't don't make me so poor that I have to steal. That I have to steal and or that don't, I'm covetous. Don't make me so rich that I forget you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that's you probably directly quoted it. I'm over I don't here, know like, about that. I think it's in Proverbs 30, but yeah, I know the verse you're talking Sounds about. Great. Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, and, and here, here it is, the danger of wealth, but the, yeah. it, it is still the first commandment that remains central. It's probably also worth noting before we move on sure. that Jesus does quote from verse 13 in his temptation in the wilderness right. where he says, him you shall serve. That's part of what Jesus quotes against the devil in his temptations. Yeah, and Jesus, uh, as as previous guests have mentioned, only quotes Deuteronomy right. when it comes to uh, to uh, refuting the temptations given uh, in in the Gospels. Yeah, That's right. Powerful. Yeah, two two of them are in this chapter, verse thirteen, and then right. in verse sixteen, which yeah. is where we're headed about not putting God to the test. So take us into verses sixteen yeah, and we gotta, following. We got to keep moving here. That's right. Right. Uh, so <laughs> uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. That's the water incident, right? The, yeah, that's right. You know, give us water. You brought us out to the wilderness just so that we would die of thirst, just so that, you know, that, um, that idea that, 
they did test God because they they tested his um, his loyalty, his faithfulness to them. They they questioned whether or not he was a jealous God, right? Whether or not he really did want to have them as his people, and he wanted to be their God. Um, which you're going to find out that I mean, God is the faithful party in this. God is the one who's doing the things that are right. Um, he's doing it in ways that we may not understand. Right, maybe ways that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves, but at the end of the day, um, we had a professor uh, together, I think, at the seminary who used to say, "God is God, and you are not." That's right. And I have become more and more convinced in the last eleven or so years, uh, being a pastor, that you know, pretty much everything that we teach as pastors boils down to the fact that God is God, and I am not. Yeah. You know, And, and and actually learning to to believe that, actually learning to confess that, actually learning to live that, that's that's the lifetime of a Christian because we keep falling back into thinking that I would do a better job of being God than he does. That's what breaking the first commandment looks like. That's what sin is, and that's what all sin is. Um, so, yeah, they tested God. Uh, like you said, Jesus does make mention of this uh, in his uh, temptation. Um but the whole point here in not testing God is that we would keep the commandments, the testimonies uh, that he has commanded to uh, his people. Um, so we should do what is right and good in the sight of uh, the Lord because this is what life is. Uh, God shows us the way of life. God speaks to us the way of life. Um, and that's that's how he would have us. That's what his will is for us is to live it's only in our fallen, broken will, it's only in our rebellion and our enmity towards God, our warfare against God, um, that we find death. Mm. And that's, I think, what's going on in verses uh, 16, 17, going into 18 as well. Um, and, yeah, even even 19, because God is the one who is with us uh, to take possession of the good land. Uh, I should say with Israel, because, of course, we don't want to, you know... Uh, we don't want to take this out of context. Right. We want to keep it right there in the uh, in the days of Moses. Um, so he's sending, he's thrusting out the enemies uh, just as he has promised. It keeps going back to his promises. It's almost yeah. like it's about these words. That we should hear. Yeah, that we should hear. Yeah, and that our children should hear too. And Lots sometimes they might have questions about it. Yeah, they tell do. Us a, tell us about verses. The, Moses comes back to this multi-generational aspect Doesn't in verse he? 20. Yeah. Go, go, what, what's the dynamic there? So he says, and I love the way that he says this. He doesn't say if. If your kid ever asks you a question about this stuff, you got to tell him something. Instead, verse 20, he says, when your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that Yahweh our God has commanded you? Well, so... It's almost, it's an expectation. Again, you're always teaching, right? Isn't there a country song about that? Like, I've yeah, been watching, been watching you, you, dad, yeah. or something like that's that, right. right? But that's that's sort of um, the idea that's, that's behind this um, is that your children will ask questions about this. Be prepared to give an answer to them. Think about these things. That's uh, that's how we we have an answer. Is we ponder on these things. We pray over God's word. We um, allow God's word to permeate us. Um, you know, I had a um, uh, a pastor one time who said, "The more that you're in God's word, the more God's word gets into you." And that's that's such a great blessing uh, is to be able to to have that word in the time of questioning when somebody says, "Why is it this way?" To be able to, uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we trust and hope and pray, um, to give an answer that is faithful uh, and to give an answer that is uh, is true, that speaking the truth in love, uh, we would be able to, uh, to give answer to this. But this, again, is 
the whole idea of this chapter is to say that the stuff that you are now receiving, the teaching, the instruction, the words of God, it should permeate your being so that it will also permeate the being of the next generation and the generation after that. I mean, this is something that we've struggled with in the church now for, I mean, I guess we've always struggled with it and not even just in the church, but all of God's people have always struggled to remember the words of God and to speak clearly the words of God to the next generation. But I think it's something that we have had in in particular focus um, is the fact that, you know, why aren't there as many kids in church? Why do you know? Why do youth groups continue to to languish? Why do people continue to graduate from high school and graduate from God? Um, we have, you know, or even from confirmation, they graduate from confirmation, and they walk out the doors, and you never see them again until they have children to bring of their own. Um, but I mean, I'm 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 stammering on a little bit here, but the idea is that. This stuff matters because of the next generation, for the sake of the next generation, so that they too might walk by faith. Because you remember this whole book of Deuteronomy exists because the people who had walked out of Egypt and had seen the mighty things of God, for some reason, some miracle, terrible miracle gone wrong, they didn't believe in God, in his provision. So when they get to the the promised land, they send the spies in. The spies are like, eh, I mean, it looks nice over there, but the people are kind of giant-like, and there's no way that we're going to overthrow them. And Jericho's this big, scary city and everything else. Um, and so God says, okay, we're going to reroute the GPS for 40 years and allow you people who have walked by sight that is, walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, you're not going to walk through the Jordan River. You're, you're not going to, uh, to uh, receive the promised land, uh, receive the promised inheritance, because your first commandment is all out of whack. Um, I am not your, you know, you are not uh, having me alone as your God. And maybe this next generation will. And, and they do to some degree. Of course, they fall away as well, which again is the, that's the mystery of this is why do God's people keep falling away? Why does sin cling so easily to us? Um, that's sort of the question for us. Um, and, and how do we get beyond that? Well, again, I think it's that intentional teaching, that intentional listening to God's word, hearing the word of God so that we might repent of our sins, receive the forgiveness, um, and then uh, continue to have that word uh, mold us and form us and shape us through life. I think the the parable of the sower is important to keep in mind that, you know, the seed gets scattered and beyond our control, it doesn't always yield a fruit, right? I mean, that's, that's part of that reality. Right. But the point of that is to scatter the seed. And, yes. and if we're not scattering the seed, if we're not teaching the word to our children diligently, then there's no, it's not going to take root, right. but, but scatter the seed, teach diligently, let God do his work through that word, trust him to do it according trust in to him his for the will. results. That's right. That's, That's all right. you can do. That's right. We can't, we can't bend wills. We can't, you know, we can't force people to believe and, and, and for that matter, God can't either, but he grants it as a gift. Yeah. He grants it as a gift um, where and when he chooses. And why does he choose where and when he chooses? That's a question for God. I don't have that answer. But God nevertheless speaks his word and his Holy Spirit does create faith um, in those who hear it. Um, And so ours is is the the call to sow that seed, to speak that word, um, and then to to trust in God for the results. That's right. That's right. And he will provide a harvest. Indeed. Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, also helping to plant Epiphany Lutheran Church in Bastrop, Texas, helping us today with Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 25. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor Apple. 
Listen, hear, the Lord is one. He is our God. He is your God, the gracious God who speaks life to you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Deuteronomy, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.